My name is Dennis Thompson. I was born on Long Island, New York in 1987. I had a very happy, normal childhood, except my parents did not live together. My mother was a terrific lady and still is. As a reporter, she sometimes took me along with her on interesting assignments. I remember when I was about eight, my mother dragged me along with her when she covered the revitalization of Hicksville. She said Hicksville was celebrating the town's 350th anniversary. For a kid, it was okay. There were parades and good food along with fireworks. And I can remember a concert we watched, but it was a little too long. But the event I really enjoyed was getting into the 2002 U.S. Golf Open. My mother had a press pass and was able to get me into the first round. I still remember watching Tiger Woods, who ended up winning the tournament, with Phil Mickelson, runner-up. I believe that was the beginning of my love for golf. And living so close to Bethpage State Park made it easy for me to play when I was a little older. My father bought me my first set of golf clubs after I went on and on about how great it was watching all those professional golfers on the black course. I never played the black course until I was much older and able to play it without embarrassing myself. I mostly played the green or the yellow and sometimes with my father. I really loved my father and never gave much thought to the fact that he was not living with us when I was little. My mother explained to me that she was divorced from him. What does that even mean to a young child? There were other kids in my class with divorced parents. I accepted the idea that divorced meant your father and mother did not live together. But I never felt that divorce meant your parents did not get along or love each other. It was quite the contrary in my home. My father obviously loved my mother. I knew this because whenever they were together, he would stay very close to her, hugging and kissing her, except when he was grabbing me. My father made me feel special. Now that I'm a man, I might even say that he spoiled me. If I wanted something like a bicycle, or a new glove, or a science set, or whatever, he would bring it with him the next time he visited. Whenever he left, I would feel sad, but never heartbroken, because I knew he would be back. He usually returned before the week was over. It must have been when I was in the fourth grade when I started wondering why my father never took me to where he lived. Why couldn't I live with him sometimes? My mother tried to explain that my father traveled so much with his job that it was not practical. That excuse worked for a while until I tormented both my parents about spending a night or two with my father. Finally, my mother relented, and I did spend nights with my father, but never more than one at a time. His apartment was in Rockville Center, which was about a half an hour's drive from where I lived. It was a nice apartment, but did not have much furniture or stuff in it. I asked my father where all his clothes were. He had a few things, but not much. He said he kept most of his belongings at work 
because he was away so much. When I asked to see where he worked, he became as standoffish as I can ever remember him being. He responded frustratingly that there was nothing worth seeing, and he did not want to waste his time with me going there. After a few attempts to see where he worked, I gave up trying. Fast forward to 2003. This is the year that most of the mystery about my father cleared up a bit. I was 16 years old by then, and I was convinced that my father was keeping secrets from me. Then he and my mother sat me down one day. I have a hunch it was because I was becoming increasingly inquisitive and they felt I was old enough to handle the news. My father told me that several years before he had remarried. He told me this was the real reason he had so few clothes and furniture in his apartment. I indicated to my parents that this was no earth-shattering news. I was not a child. I knew that my mother would go out occasionally on dates. There were times when I stayed with my cousins on the weekends. If my mother had a sleepover with someone for a few days, it did not crush me. So, what if my father was living with someone? He never lived with my mother in the first place. Then my father added that having a son was always a bone of contention for his wife. He told me that she irrationally refused to accept a child that was not hers into their home. He was 65 at the time of this confession. He wanted to spare me the discomfort of meeting a woman who would not welcome me with open arms. He added that her discovering he had a son nearly ended their relationship. The fear of being alone in his 60s had caused him to keep this to himself. He shamefully added that he was not proud of himself for being so weak. I asked my parents why they had not just stayed married to each other. They obviously cared for one another deeply. I know that they both loved me. My mother explained they had tried, but their lifestyles were so different that it just did not work out. It was a flimsy answer, but I never pursued it further. I never wanted to cause disruption to my father's world, so I just let it go. I learned the real truth many years later. During my high school years, I started contemplating what I wanted to do with my life. The time spent with my father greatly influenced my decision. My grades were excellent, and I probably could have pursued any field I chose, with the possible exception of coding in the computer sciences. I had no aptitude for that. Medicine interested me, mostly because my father expressed his enthusiasm inspiring me to take on the challenge. I balked knowing the years of hard work and study necessary, but my father empowered me. He vowed that all I needed to do was commit to the responsibility and dedicate myself to my studies. He would cover all expenses. I focused on the end goal. I soon learned how much anxiety and doubt I had to defeat in order to make it to the finish line. But defeating the demons was the most gratifying accomplishment of my life. I only regret that my father was not alive to see me become a doctor.
Even so, I felt him with me as I received my diploma. At least my mother was able to witness our dreams come to fruition. The one thing my father insisted was that I leave Long Island for medical school. This was in stark contrast to my parents' preference to have me nearby during my undergraduate years. Going to school on Long Island would have been fine with me as long as I could live on campus. It was nearly the end of his life, but he still held a powerful grip on me. He insisted that being out of state would diminish any distractions. I really did not buy into this idea. However, I did finally agree to attend the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. It was not the moon, but it was too far to run home whenever discouragement took over my spirit. I could never quite put my finger on it, but I felt both my parents wanted me far away from home. It's not like Long Island is a small place. Between Nassau County and Suffolk County, there were three million people. Maybe that was just a fantasy I conjured. Pop was paying for the entire education, so I never argued. Even after he died, my mother always controlled the funds necessary to sustain my education. I would not let either of them down. I graduated medical school in 2013, the year after my father died. It had always troubled me that my father passed away without my knowing until days later. My mother said she herself never knew until after the fact. I had no evidence she was hiding a tremendous secret. My mother was very good at keeping secrets. I could easily have become a general practitioner or chosen one of the many other medical fields that would have expedited the start of my practicing medicine, but I felt compelled to become a surgeon. The residency requirements for this specialty added another three years beyond those chosen by my fellow graduates. I was not lured by the promise of great wealth, nor was it about fame. It was about my father's voice ringing in my ears. He would always talk to me about how proud he was to have me as a son. He said my life was predestined. My father never spoke to me about religion or God or life after death or anything spiritual. Why would he say that? When pressed to explain, he simply said he met my mother quite by accident and their getting together was nothing short of a miracle and that I was a godsend. He was already past 70 by this time and I believe he may have realized that his days were numbered because cancer had returned. Like religion, he would never discuss his own health with my mother or me, but I could feel my father's strength thrusting me forward and his great desire for my success guided me to this end. I hope you will forgive my hasty account of my college undergraduate years. I had my share of fun when I felt I could spare the time or needed a break from studying. I was never the person to fully let myself go or indulge in careless behavior. I have always envied those characters that were the life of the party. Once, maybe twice, during college, I did manage to drink myself into a state of zaniness. 
but I never felt good about myself after the crash landing. I'm not a teetotaler, but I rarely consume more than one or two drinks at a sitting, and even that is infrequent. However, I really like girls. I discovered that being a bit reclusive is not a handicap to attracting charming young women. In fact, the air of mystery can be appealing for those women not especially bemused by the party-goer. I had my share of tension-releasing experiences. Two of my college partners were memorable, lasting an entire year. But inevitably, our life priorities were at odds. In medical school, the relationships took on an entirely new dimension. The women I met were always serious and extremely accomplished. Any person, man or woman, having worked up to this level of achievement, had little time for the frivolous. However, I discovered firsthand that people perpetually living on the edge work hard and can play even harder. Permanent relationships can form as temporary respite from the grueling challenges faced day after day. I have friends I met in medical school who got married and even started a practice together. It is not uncommon. I was never looking for, nor did I find that special woman to share my life while I prepared to become a surgeon. I knew that I still had years of residency in front of me and focused on that. What's more, I always intended to move back to Long Island. My mother was now well into her 50s and I wanted to be there for her as she was always there for me. It was not because my mother was needy or frail. She was nothing of the sort. It was more of an inherent devotion to her. All of us have a story. Mine is no more interesting or earth-shattering than most people's sagas. Okay, I went to college for eight years and became a surgeon. I spent additional long years in residency, learning all the skills, techniques, technology, and the anatomy of the human body necessary to extend the life of somebody's loved one. That, to me personally, is edifying. However, there is one episode in my life that anyone would say is incredible. We all have those defining moments in our life that totally send us off in a direction we did not foresee. Mine happened in the emergency room one Friday evening at St. Joseph's Hospital. Being the youngest doctor on staff, more often than not, resulted in my working weekends and nights. These hours have a tendency to feature victims of violence or too much drinking or too much depression. But this particular weekend, which was still early in the weekend madness, I was attending a 75-year-old woman suffering from a heart attack. Fortunately, the rescue squad responded quickly and kept her stable. She was on the operating table almost immediately. I was able to bypass the blocked blood vessel that was the source of the woman's trouble. Coincidentally, we shared the same last name. That was interesting, but not so unusual. It was a common Irish name on an island populated with countless descendants of the Emerald Isle. But my defining moment 
came when I delivered the results of the operation to the woman's daughter and granddaughter. The news was encouraging, and the family was understandably grateful to hear it. People in their position always prepare themselves for bad news while praying for a positive outcome. Their gratitude was demonstrative with smiles and hugs. I had to maintain my professional demeanor and distance, especially while the patient was still in recovery. It was hard for me because the granddaughter was radiant. I learned in the process of monitoring her grandmother that she was close to finishing law school. I estimated that she was in her early or maybe mid-twenties. I could possibly have been 10 years her senior, but age was inconsequential. Actually, the fact she was younger was a positive. Older women have a tendency to scare me. I felt an attraction to this woman that I could hardly disguise. As long as I was her grandmother's doctor, I was determined to keep a proper distance and act professionally. Be that as it may, I was bent on seeing Miss Perino on a much more personal level when Mrs. Thompson was discharged. Call it love at first sight, call it kismet, or call it providence. Call it what you will, but I was going to see this young woman again, if only to see if my fervor was genuine or imagined. I had my opportunity to test the words with Emily when I asked her to stay back a moment. When her parents left my office after I had provided an update on Mrs. Thompson, I tried not being too obvious, but this lady was definitely not stupid or naive. When I asked her why her husband had not come to visit her grandmother, she laughed, revealing the fact that she was on to me. But that was okay. Sometimes a woman finds it more attractive when she knows a man is interested in her. I learned that in introductory psychology and outside the classroom. She indicated that law school was demanding and she had no time for a clingy husband. When I study that beautiful oval face with its Irish hue blended with bewitching Italian features, I felt as if I had known her from somewhere. But how could I have known her? She and I traveled in totally different circles and, in fact, different cities. I apologized to Emily for staring, explaining my reasons. She replied that she also had a feeling of familiarity, but neither of us could remember meeting. I asked her if she would like to have dinner one evening, after her grandmother was discharged and recuperating at home. She accepted. I added her number to my cell. Here I am, an accomplished man of good standing in the medical profession, feeling like a giddy teenager. It was all I could do to keep from discharging Mrs. Thompson early to get a head start on being with Emily. But I was professional first, and our rendezvous would have to wait. When the day came to discharge my very special patient, I watched from my office window as Emily and her parents assisted the nurse with helping Mrs. Thompson into their van. When the vehicle was out of sight, I texted Emily, See you in two weeks. I'll call with details. I was a lovesick child. 
I could hardly wait the two weeks to call Emily. When I was younger, being shy made it hard for me to ask out a woman, but as I got older, I'd learned their subtle cues. But it was not difficult with Emily. Emily was much younger than I, but far more mature. She was accomplished in her own right. And let's not overlook the physical attraction. This is almost always the magnet that seduces first, but unless followed by some enduring enchantment, the external beauty does not sustain the feeling. Emily had more than beauty. She had intelligence, wit, and wisdom. Though it sounds cliché, it was as if I had known Emily all my life. She was comfortable and familiar. I purposely chose the weekend when I was totally free. Emily said she would also be available and her coursework was in good shape. Being from Long Island, one would think I spent a lot of time in the city. The truth is, I hardly ever made the short trip to Manhattan. The city was another world, separated by tunnels and bridges and rivers. There was plenty to do on Long Island, that is, when I had enough time or energy to go out and do it. I had plenty of vigor anticipating a weekend with Emily, and this time the city seemed the place to spend it. But I refused to sit in some Times Square movie house or take in some Broadway play where we would have to sit quietly in the dark. I asked her if she mind going to a Yankee game. Emily said she would love to go, but her wry smile did not seem to match her words. It turned out to be great fun for both of us. Even if she wasn't a die-hard Yankee fan, there was plenty of beer and lots of spirit. Yankee fans are entertaining in and of themselves. After the game, instead of going right back to Greenwich Village, we took a detour to Central Park. We had a carriage ride and a light dinner. I suggested to Emily that we have a nightcap back at my hotel room, thinking she would politely refuse the invitation. It was the best nightcap I ever had.